Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there. This is Fantastic Tuesday, and a special shout-out to all of my international and national listening fans. We're coming live from California, and I have a great bit of news for those of you in California. The annual Southern California Women's Conference is being held at the Pasadena Hilton Hotel, November 1st, with a power breakfast at 7 a.m. and free workshop sessions on health, empowerment, and wellness for women. But you have to register at www.socalwomenconference.com. Again, it's free workshop sessions at 9.30, but there's a breakfast at 7 a.m. at the Pasadena Hilton Hotel on November 1st, and I'll be there. So I'll see you there. Well, today we have on the show the incredible filmmaker, Camille Tucker, who's CEO of NUMA Entertainment. And this is an organization or an entertainment industry that creates film, TV, and media content to inspire through universal messages of hope, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. Now, Camille is a graduate of UCLA with a BA in English, an MA in Theology and Film from Fuller Seminary, and an MFA in Writing. She has well over 15 years in the entertainment industry as a filmmaker. So I want you to stay tuned to hear this incredible interview with Miss Camille Tucker, who's going to share her fantastic journey as a filmmaker and how a sweet potato ride changed her life. And for those of you who might be new listeners, the Transformation Success is a radio broadcast, and it is immediately downloaded in podcast format in iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. So share with all your friends and colleagues this information because they can download these shows and any format uh, in terms of podcasts. So remember also that the shows are rebroadcast on the Empowerment and Business channels on Fridays at noon because we are syndicated. Also, a little note, check out my television online network, Transformation Success TV, on the TV.com. Because we have a new season that began the 1st of September with new provocative shows. So you can access and view them online via your telly. Isn't that great? Well, let me share more about my guest today because I'm so excited. Camille's love for writing has taken across every medium from poetry, ad copy, copywriting, scholarly writing, to writing for film and television. She sold so many screenplays and two television pilots to major studios such as Sony, Disney, Universal, Fox TV, New Line Cinema, and too many others to mention. And if her life is not full enough, this woman is also an associate professor of writing for film and television at Biola University. So stay tuned because you want to hear about her. And if you want to call in the show, those of you who are live and listening, you can call in at 1-888-346-9141. Again, 1-888-346-9141. 
for one. Now, all of that, let's give me a big shout out and greetings to Camille. Camille, welcome to the Transformation for Success show. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Young. I really, Girl. it's so much fun to get this time with you. Well, it's so much fun just reading about you, learning about you. I mean, it is so, I mean, you are an incredible woman, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. And just, and you're so busy. Oh, my God. But thank you for taking time out to join me to share your transformational journey. You know, Camille, I know, um, and I talked about you, you know, that coming from a background where your father and mother, formerly, I mean, your father and your brother formerly served as mayors and where a rap group brought international recognition to your city. What was your life like for you growing up as a little girl? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I am straight out of Compton. And I grew up in Compton at a time before it had become popular as a slogan <laughs> on a t-shirt. So when I grew up in Compton, as you stated, my father was the mayor of Compton, Walter Tucker II, and he he passed away in 90. But um, he was also a dentist in the community. So he was very revered. He was very respected. And my father really pushed education, and he always told all of us, his children, there are four of, four children, I have three siblings, my eldest sister, Keita, my brother, Walter III, and my brother, Kenneth, who's a year older than me, and we always sort of bore the burden of walking in our father's shoes, because people had loved and adored him so much, and not only was he the mayor of Compton, but he was the type of person, he was from Oklahoma, he was a country guy, he used to walk around in these big these cowboy boots. But my father was a public servant to the nth degree. He was the type that if someone came to our door and was hungry, he would tell my mother, like, let him in, let's give him dinner. <laughs> and so I really grew up um, having a sense of humility, but also knowing that education was very important to me accomplishing my goals and my dreams. And my father could be a taskmaster in that sense. Going to um, living in Compton, when I was in the second grade, the school that I went to burned down. And it was a Montessori school, and I had to switch schools. And my parents found Chadwick School in Palos Verdes. So that was a very interesting experience because from second grade to 12th grade, I was bused to Chadwick School. And I lived in this all-black community, and all of a sudden when I got the shock of my life going to a predominantly white school. And that was a very profound experience for me and two different worlds. Also at that time, like I said, people actually really weren't that positive about Compton and people would say, you're from Compton. Like what's going on there? You know, is it drugs? Is it gangs? And that was really the inspiration for me to start to write because of what I dealt with being straddling these two different worlds. And I began to write about my pain, about my confusion, about trying to really understand these two different worlds that didn't totally go together. And so um, it's interesting to think that, you know, whatever we're dealing with in life, that can be the source of our creativity. So that's a little bit about my experience growing up. That's interesting, too. And thank you for sharing that, Um, because I, I did know that your passion for writing began at 10, but that that ties in 
with being in the second, second or third grade or maybe fourth grade at age 10. And you wrote your first poem at 10 and you got it published? Did you it get it wasn't published? published? My mother just mm-hmm. pronounced that I was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother was actually a writer as well. She's a novelist and she has done a lot of writing workshops and she has her master's in education from Cal State LA. So, of course, mothers are going to always love their children. But when my mother read my first poem, she just said, oh, you're so talented. You're creative. Keep doing it. Keep going. And so that gave, that encouraged me to keep writing. And from poetry, I started writing short stories. And my teachers at the time, uh, they actually responded to my material as well. And, you know, I, a, a child just really needs encouragement. And so it did encourage me, and I kept writing creatively, and I eventually started writing plays and doing all of the plays at school as an actress and as a writer, writing little plays and skits. And that was sort of the beginning of my creative journey, um, acting and writing as well. That's really interesting because, you know, I know that you were writing poetry, and then you started writing plays and writing songs yeah. and writing. Raps and screenplays. Now, you—I mean, you were some busy young woman. I mean, did you have much time as a teenager, just having fun, or were you writing all the time, <laughs> playing well, you all know, the time? That's a good question to ask because I kind of had a bit of a—and I'll say this lovingly, momager, but not really. She wasn't really a momager, <laughs> but because I did, I actually was a child actress, so I was very busy because not only was I going through this experience of having to change schools, I had an acting bug and my mother would cart me around to auditions. I did some national commercials. I actually auditioned for one iteration of the Mickey Mouse Club, if you can believe. <laughs> oh, I and remember. So oh, wow. My life was jammed. Yeah, but the question that you ask, when I turned about 12, 13, like many, you know, I was like the the tweener, hormones start changing, um, interests start changing, you know, wanting to go to little parties and things that were going on. There was a transformation or change in my life in terms of my discipline. I had taken operatic singing. I had taken acting lessons. I had taken dance. And I started to be more like, well, mom, I just want to go to the parties and hang out. You know, I just, I don't really want to do this anymore. And so, I did kind of experience that teenage, not rebellion. Well, I did become a rebellious teen, but those were the beginnings of it. And um, at that point, did try to start exploring more things in school in terms of going to the dances, clubs, and so forth. Was on the swim team, tried out for cheerleading, just different things like that. And my acting career and my singing career kind of took a second, you know, went to second position after that. I wasn't as much involved in that. But what's interesting is that as I was finishing up high school, I did do the theater group. I did audition and try out and participate in a lot of the plays and musicals. And then once I graduated from high school and I was um, a student at UCLA, I actually started competing in beauty pageants. 
So the acting and the singing and all of that came back in the talent portion of the beauty pageants. And I was actually Miss Carson. And I went oh. to the Miss California pageant representing the city of Carson. So <laughs> that's my little secret. Well, that, <laughs> well, well no, mean. it's not secret anymore. Now we know because inquiring yeah, minds wanted to know. I was a beauty queen and <laughs> used to wear the big hair with all the hairspray and the, the, the fancy sequins dresses. It, it was Oh, yeah, it was a time. <laughs> well, I got news for you. Big hair is back. <laughs> mm-hmm. The big hair is back. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but, you know, one of the big things, this may sound like era. a, you know what I'm uh, saying? <laughs> yeah, this may sound like a, a um, interesting, a provocative question. But as I was sort of listening to you, all the things that you did as a teenager. Now, there are three other children in the house. Were you yeah. a mom pleaser? <laughs> That is a very good question because there there were there are four of us, but there's a gap of like eight years in between my two brothers. Okay. And so my sis, my oldest sister and brother were already out of the house when my younger brother Ken and I were coming up. Okay. And um, and we are different personalities. I don't know if you're a mother, but what my mother always says is like every child has a different personality. My brother oh, yes, Ken was a drawer. He was a little bit more introspective. I was the outgoing one, the outspoken one, the one doing sketches and skits and plays and acting and all of that. And so I do think my mother had wanted to be an actress. And at the time she said, I think there were no roles for black women. And she mentioned Diane Carroll and Julia. And maybe that might've been one of the few black women on TV or Um, in films at the time. And so I think there was a part of her dream that I inherited. And so I don't know if this is much, maybe there is, there was some mom pleasing there or also feeling like I was kind of carrying the torch that I wanted to, there was an opportunity for me to actually do the things that she had dreamt about, but was not able to do because my mom went to Fisk university and she was a theater arts major And Mm -hmm. so she never did get to become a professional actress, but she did also start writing and became a novelist and an educator. And I believe that many of her dreams and her passions were also extended and fulfilled and carried on through her children. So they did say I was spoiled and they did say that I was precocious. (laughs) So as the youngest, (laughs) I kind of got it sometimes. (laughs) Well, the reason why why I asked that question, because... It was mom that took you to the auditions. It was mom that drove you to dance classes. It was mom that was in somewhat in the background. And I know the reason why, and I didn't mean to offend in saying that, but I know she was the impetus and beautiful. And of course, every girl wants to be like her mother and you were already outgoing and precocious. So it's a natural kind of thing to to do. Well, you have actually accomplished a lot. And the, the thing that I... I, I feel, too, that all of this, because I believe that all of our steps are ordained and there is a purpose mm-hmm. and a map. You know, we, we don't look at it as it's happening, but in retrospect, you find out all of these things came to play as to where you are today. So my, my question, before we go on break real quick, and I hope we'll get a chance, yeah. what, are you, what are you passionate about that you share in your stories, and do you bring some of those experiences from your childhood 
into your stories. Yeah, I'm passionate about underrepresented voices. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's such a novelty or new now because because for so many years we did not necessarily see the stories of black women, women of mm-hmm. color, people of color. There at some point was like a backlash. We saw the hashtag Oscar so white and people were criticizing the entertainment industry and the gatekeepers because you would see something like John Singleton's film Boys in the Hood or a film made by someone like Reggie Hudlin, or at the time the Hughes brothers, um, Malcolm Lee, being successful in the box office and making money. Spike Lee, please let me not forget the our godfather of film, Spike Lee. And then why is it that more people of color are not getting opportunities? It's almost okay. like the industry thought this is a one-off. Right. We're going to stop yeah. right there. And we're going to take a quick break because we're going to come back. We've got a lot more to talk about. And thank you so much. (laughs) So listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Camille Tucker. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore what we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. If you are looking to deepen your understanding of karma, the law of attraction, metaphysics, mindfulness, and intuition, be sure to tune in each week for You, the Universe, the Holistic Mind with host Catherine Potter. Catherine and her insightful guests will show how everything interconnects, explaining concepts and modalities that connect the mind and body. It's a refreshing look at the universe and the laws that govern it. Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, thank you for tuning in and welcome back with my interview with the incredible filmmaker, Camille Tucker. She's produced and directed short films and her short cellular won Best Short Narrative Film at Boston's Rockberry International Film Festival. So we were talking about, before on break, what is she passionate about and underrepresented voices and some of the stories and maybe that are not yet told. So Camille, expound at your passion and what you write about and share in your stories. Awesome. 
Yeah, we're seeing a great time right now because mm-hmm. we are seeing uh, films that we haven't seen before, like Harriet Tubman, the biopic is coming out on her. Films that feature black women, Asian women, Latina women, and are also written and helmed by the same. And I'm mm-hmm. very excited. I feel like I want to be a part of this conversation. And what even interests me, even um, beyond necessarily like, let's say, biopics, I'd love to see that black woman leading a sci-fi film. I'd love Ooh. to see a black woman or a woman of color leading that action thriller. So that's kind of what I'm passionate about, seeing women of color in roles that we haven't necessarily seen before. And I think that's coming. Well, you know, one of the things that I was uh, and intrigued hopefully about. I'll write it. <laughs> Yes, you will. No, but, you know, one of the things about your career that I'm intrigued about, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Well, it's like there's always some things that we have to go through. And so I want to know what were some of your earlier challenges breaking into this industry and how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's a great question. My first job in the industry was as an intern at Walt Disney Studios in Mm -hmm. the television department, and then I became an assistant at Walt Disney Studios in the creative development department. So I worked for the executive who read the script and gave the script the thumbs up or thumbs down. And one thing that I would say for any young filmmakers getting out there, becoming an intern or an assistant is an excellent way in, and it's a learning opportunity and what you need to do. But at the time when I became an assistant, I had a lot of fear. I always was afraid that I was going to do the wrong thing. Um, I didn't trust myself. I wanted to please everyone around me. And so some of my challenges were just being okay with myself, realizing that fear is the opposite of faith and that fear is not going to serve me well. Um, being rooted in my identity, who I am for me as a woman of God and just knowing that God loves me, even if I made a mistake, like as an assistant, you know, maybe sometimes getting the number wrong (laughs) or Mm -hmm. a message you're giving your boss or some little mistake like that and thinking the world's going to end. And so those were some of my challenges, but also in becoming a new filmmaker, those carried over. I, well, my former writing partner and I, we sold our first script and did our first short film, Sweet Potato Ride, which you mentioned, just not (laughs) trusting myself enough. Yeah. Well, you know, what it it appears is that your your challenges seemed, weren't more external, they were more internal uh, challenges, having to make peace with yourself and overcome the fear. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because the external challenges are that the entertainment industry is a competitive business, you know, that there's a lot of people trying to get into it. And so the external challenges were there. But I love how you highlighted that I brought out the internal because I think that it was not necessarily the external challenges raising money for a film or, you know, the competitive nature of the business that really were the, that came to my mind as the biggest struggles. It was the internal challenges for sure. Yeah, totally. I'm glad you I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that because um most people when they answer when I ask that question or when I talk about challenges, it's always more external 
uh, as opposed to the internal uh, struggles. And so I want to applaud you for being able to be transparent enough to say that uh, a lack of trust and wanting to be a pleaser. And it's really interesting um, because I know that there are still people who, and some of you listeners are still sort of groping and grappling with internal challenges. So it's good to know. How did you actually overcome them? Did you seek therapy or did uh, how did you overcome them, really? Yeah, um, good question. For me, it really was my faith. When I first okay. got into the industry, I didn't really have a faith of my own. Uh-huh. And um, selling one big challenge that I had, and this is an external, but it goes back to the internal, was my former writing partner and I sold like seven, eight scripts and none of them got made. They all went through the development process. They all, uh, but then ended up getting like turned down, not turned down, they were bought by the studio, but then the studio ultimately goes, we're not going to fund this to go into production. And so for that, external challenge made me doubt my identity and that I was good Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. And what I really had to do was a journey of really seeking God and being like, I'm good enough because God says I'm good enough. So for me, it was a faith journey, and I okay. didn't end up going to therapy, but I think what I did in my faith and going to church and taking classes, mm-hmm. which ultimately led me to go to seminary, was part of, like, quote-unquote, my therapy. That's good. That's a very good answer, and thank you for sharing that. Um, and, yeah. you know, and I was thinking how disappointing when you actually write the scripts, or eight of them, and they're actually fully developed, and then uh, they're submitted and then they decide not to fund them. Wow, that's that's. <laughs> and that I can, happens a lot. Um, there I can are a imagine lot of that's that's, writers. that's a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, I was just saying that happens a lot. There are a lot of working writers in this industry who write, sell, sell pitches, sell things, and what some people knew coming in may not realize is that it may not make it to the screen. So this is an endurance race. You have to still keep your head on straight and realize if this is what you love to do, you've got to keep going, keep creating content, and your whole life and identity can't be hinged on one project and whether that project gets made or not. It's just not reality. It's not what happens as a professional writer. So I would share that part of that endurance race is what anyone needs to know if they're desiring to go into this industry as a writer for TV or film. I'm glad you're mentioning that. I'm taking all these notes down. (laughs) <laughs> so, yes, I am. Um, what were some of your, your well, I, I did talk about that, but tell me, how did you get to the point where you actually sold your screenplays and uh, to major studios? Because, wow, you, you really started, you know, the ball rolling, girl. That's a great question, and that leads back to Sweet Potato Ride. Mm-hmm. So when I was an assistant, as I mentioned at Disney, my one of my great friends, Kim Green-Williams, and I decided to do a short film, which many young filmmakers do as a calling card, to show our voice, to show what we could do with a little bit of money. And we made Sweet Potato Ride, which was about a little boy going through a journey in South Central, sort of a there's no place like home journey. We had a screening There were 600 people at our screening through our marketing efforts and all of the hard work we did. And that night, we had like 10 agents wanting to sign up to represent us and work with us. We ended up going with an agent. And the funny thing was they were like, okay, we're going to send you guys out there. What's your full-length script that you're going to shop? And we looked at each other and we were like, (laughs) we don't have one. (laughs) 
and we had to take three months and we wrote a full length movie script because we had only done a short, like I said, and that script was what launched our career. Now, mind you, I was still an assistant while that was my day job while this was all going on, but that original script, we met Robert De Niro at an after Oscar party. He said, send me the script. This is like a fairy tale. <laughs> he said he, he read the script. He and his par- producing partner, Jane Rosenthal, loved it. They said that they would take it to Sony, which is where their deal was. And Mark Platt was the head of Sony at the time. And we ended up selling the script to Sony. So if you ask me how it happened, I honestly look back and be like, you know what? That was God. That wasn't yeah. me. I don't know how this all happened. <laughs> But a lot of hard work and what I had learned, but a series of events starting with a short film. And young filmmakers are still making short films now. They're viable. They're taking them to film festivals. But I would say that's one way that a new filmmaker can break in and sort of say, here's my voice, here's who I am. And that's how it happened for us. That's amazing. I mean, and, and I was going to ask you, was that one of your most amazing experiences? <laughs> that Probably was the wildest. You want to talk about a sweet potato ride? That was a wild ride itself. I mean, it was an incredible experience. It was, a, it was life-changing. It was so much fun. And it was well, just so weird to see how every green light, every door was opening. And it was, a, it was an incredible ride. Well, to have Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal, because they did, they did meet the parents and meet the Fockers, <laughs> and just to think yes. that and they, they recently asked, did when they see us with Ava DuVernay. Oh gosh, this is just uh, this is so I mean, this is so encouraging uh, in terms of a transformational story and journey, and particularly for those people who are out there who may be uh, potential film writers and who want to break into the industry. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, Camille, you, you've worked with, uh, a number of these prolific producers. Uh, you worked with John Singleton. You worked with Deborah Chase. You worked with Mark Plack. Uh, oh, and I love Kevin Misher because he did Corpion King. And then there was Todd Garner. Now, the reason why I'm calling all these names, because they're amazing. Share what that was like and who was the most memorable and maybe yeah, why? I would. It was great to work. Once we sold the first screenplay, it became like the snowball effect, where <clears throat> things just other projects started to come with us, come to us. And every project that you sell, you develop and work with that team of producers and studio executives. So the people that you mentioned were the people we were sitting down, getting notes from, saying, "Change this character, tweak this, tweak that." And for me, it was almost like graduate school. I'm here working with these greats. Another one I don't, I don't know if you mentioned um, was Deborah Chase, who produced The Princess Diaries and is the producer on the current Harriet that's coming out. And from each of these producers sitting in those rooms, I was like a sponge. Just every time they said something about a character or story point, I realized these people have been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, and they have this knowledge that they've amassed from working on all these amazing projects. And here I am, I get to sit with them in a room and have a meeting and draw their knowledge. And I would say that John Singleton was one of the most profound mentors and experience. I'll never forget one time he sat with me and watched 
Silence of the Lambs, and we watched it frame by frame on his TV. And every frame he stopped and explained to me what the filmmaker Jonathan Demme was doing, like sort of the hidden paradigms behind the storytelling and the filmmaking. And I will never forget that. But every experience that I had with these amazing producers was like that, learning from the greats. When you're developing a script and you're sitting down, when I noticed the list of A-list producers that you've worked with, as a script writer and film uh, maker, were you uh, ever kind of chagrined when they maybe said, well, tweak this or take that out? Were you ever, you know, sort of put off by that? Yeah. Because you, you you've written it and you have ownership and you've put a lot of you into it and your partner if you've no, worked with a partner. That is such an important question you're asking because I wasn't chagrined. It goes back to what we originally were talking about with the internal work that needed to be done. Okay. okay. I was more sort of like, oh my gosh, am I good enough? Do I know how to handle this? What am I going to do? How do you fix this character? Okay. Looking back... I would have taken it as, as a professional, this is what writers always do. There's no reason to think that, quote, unquote, you're not good enough or you got something wrong. Talk to your mentors, you know, get the education that you need and address the problem. I wish I had known that earlier as opposed to taking it personally and like, oh, my gosh, I may not be good enough. That Uh type of thing. Uh Uh So So I recommend that anyone get the proper education you need. And mm-hmm. that's the way that you can deal with that type of thing. Yeah, because you can imagine some uh, like Mark Platt saying, well, no, tweak that. No, and no, that character shouldn't <laughs> say that. It should do this. <laughs> so, so you've got to be centered and grounded um, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, and that happens in every story meeting. Of all of the writers that are in the writer's guilds, of all the writers who are the professional writers, as I've shared stories and talked to them over the years and built up my awareness and education of how it really works, that's what happens. And so as a professional writer, one of the tools we have to have is how to take criticism and feedback and how to address criticism and feedback. That's part of our job. Is that a course? And I wish I had known that going in. <laughs> is that a course that you think maybe should be taught? It's not a course, but you can ask my students, because as you mentioned, I'm also a screenwriting professor. I teach it to my students, for sure. Good. So, Good. Yes. I'm, I'm and glad. In any screenwriting program, they teach that, how okay. one deals and walks through getting feedback. And that's a good way of painting it. Instead of saying how to take criticism, is how to walk through uh, feedback that might not be positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's... Well, that happens in any industry, and a lot of people are not that adept at really handling it. So I want to thank you for bringing that out, um, because it's as a professional, you're taking advice from other professionals. So again, thanks to you that you were being open and receptive, because you've had all these amazing experiences. One of the things, uh, before we go on break, I'm going to talk about your new screenplay, Blessed in the City, which is an inspirational romantic comedy. I wonder how you got to that. And tell me a little bit about that screenplay. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and really, what was the impetus behind that? Because I don't think you've done anything like a romantic screenplay, comedy, um, 
up until this time, right? Um, yeah, I sold some, some romantic comedy. So Blessing City is loosely based on my real life. At a point, I decided to be sexually abstinent and try to date here in L.A. And um, I loved sex, in the, sex and the city. And I was like, what if there was an inspirational sex and the city about four women who were trying to date while being sexually abstinent? And that was the <laughs> impetus for Blessing City. Where is that in the production? (laughs) We're going to see how miraculous that's going to be. So listeners, stay tuned. We're going to come back after a quick break. We're going to talk about this inspirational romantic comedy. Oh, wow. Okay, should be powerful. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with my guest, Camille Tucker. Thank you. on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, thank you for tuning back in with my guest today, Miss Camille Tucker, who is a, an African-American filmmaker that has done some miraculous work, screenplays, two television pilots, and we talked a lot about that. So if you're just tuning in, you got to go back and listen to this show, let me tell you. So we're now talking about a romantic, inspirational comedy, <laughs> something like uh, similar. This is sort of what we would call this um, opposed to Sex and the City. This is about blessed in the city. This is a romantic comedy, inspirational. So what was the, the impetus behind this, Camille, you said, was sort of your own story and your um, option. Do we call it optioned? You optioned your screenplay. 
Blessed um, in the city. Yeah, so with uh, Blessed in the City, I've optioned it a few times. It hasn't gotten made yet. But uh-huh. I'm really excited because I have the Clark Sisters, the First Ladies of Gospel, which I co-wrote and which is being produced by Queen Latifah, Mary J. Blige, and Missy Elliott, and Holly Carter. It'll be airing on Lifetime in January of 2020. So far, we don't have an exact air date yet, but I'll make sure to put it on my social media once I do. Right, and make sure you let me know. it's going to be my first produced credit. But what's so exciting to me is in getting this produced credit, um, I feel like it's going to really help the opportunity to sell my passion project, which you talked about, Blessed in the City, which really came from me being like, it was very interesting dating while being sexually abstinent because of my faith and because of just inner and emotional healing that I wanted to do. And I was like, I think this would be a great screenplay. And so it's a very personal project. And I made the characters fun. They're loosely based on me and my best girlfriends. And just all of the ups and downs that they go through trying to find love without having sex. <laughs> right, right. That's going to be, I would love to see that romance. I bet that's going to be a great comedy. I can see that now. Oh. Oh, <laughs> that's, a lot of people love this idea. They were like, well, how come this has never been done before? So, um, so it's, like a, it's, it's a woman of faith answer to a lot of rom-coms that we've seen already. So it comes from a different perspective. So it's really, it's, I had a lot of fun with it. It's very interesting. My characters go to a born-again virgin conference <laughs> in the story. It's hilarious. And um, it, 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 it's funny, but I use humor to speak about larger themes and issues in life. And I that's one great. thing that, that's kind of like a part of my writing. I think it's great. I wish you all of God's blessings behind that. And when it's time, that will become a reality, I am sure. One of the things that uh, I, I sort of looked at was the advice or steps that you'd give to encourage young individuals who wish to pursue a career path such as yours. And you've already given us one, become an intern. Or, and Because it can be an yeah. intern or an assistant because it helps you to get in the business. You mentioned that. And you were an intern at Walt Disney, and it created some opportunities for you to learn and to grow. Yeah. The second um, that I put in, that maybe you didn't say particularly, but it is really getting, coming to grips with your own internal struggles, whatever they may be, to acknowledge and own them and recover from them. <laughs> um the second that was that was me putting that in there, Camille, based on what you said. I love number, what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> and number three was developing endurance. This is not a race for the swift, but those who endure until the end. So it's not a short yeah. ride. It's going to be maybe some in some instances a long haul. So you must build up your endurance for it. And then number three, I think you said a short film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Developing a short, a, short, a, sh- a short So film. as a way you've encapsulated, yeah. Okay. I that love becomes the way you've encapsulated card. what I've said, and I would be in total agreement with those. For writers, definitely a short film, they call it a calling card, is a great entree in. And if you are not going to do a short film, 
then entering writing contests and competitions mm-hmm. um, around the world, no matter what country you're in or if you're in the United States, what state you're in. There's so many writing competitions now. And that's a way to build up your resume if you're able to say that you are a semifinalist or finalist in a writing competition. That will help you emerge. It will help sometimes for people to read your material, whereas maybe they would not have normally read someone. We know that agents and managers and studios often say we, we don't read unsolicited material. But if you can say, hey, I was a semifinalist in South by Southwest writing competition, oftentimes that will open the doors that aren't normally open. So competitions would be another writing competition. Mm-hmm. And then also, and I think this is kind of a no-brainer for no matter what you're doing, is like keep writing. Um, I don't think that anyone should think that they're going to write one script. I sometimes meet people on the street and they go, I have one script that I think would be great. And, you know, I think I'm going to be a screenwriter. And I'm like, it's not going to be one script. You're going to need to write seven scripts, eight scripts, nine scripts, ten scripts. There's that theory, you know, that we heard the whole 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell, like 10,000 hours of anything to be an expert at it. And if you truly love writing, you have to keep writing. It may not be the first script that you wrote that's going to sell. Maybe it's that fifth script or maybe it's Mm -hmm. that tenth script. Mm -hmm. And lastly, just going back to the endurance race, I would say for anyone, don't think you're going to come to Los Angeles or do anything and make it in one year. Think five to ten years and make a five to ten year plan for your success. And think of that as your investment. And get a job. And get a job to pay your bills. Yes. (laughs) Even working at Starbucks. Starbucks has health insurance or Apple. (laughs) Yep. Yep, they do. So, oh, thank you so much for that advice because I'm sure that uh, the listeners will really, some of them that are listening out there that might be interested in this career path, certainly appreciate your sharing. You know, Camille, as we sort of wrap up, I know you state in your free time that you're doing something. You're teaching filmmaking to at-risk teens through the Build Youth Media Boot Camp, and I just want to commend you for that. And just share with the listeners, just very briefly, what that's like for you before we close. It's amazing for me to give back and to work with groups like Bill Duke, Diamond in the Raw that I've taught before, even when I went to Nigeria this past summer and taught a four-week screenwriting intensive in Lagos, Nigeria, because we can take for granted what we have. And for those people who may not have even a laptop or computer or screenwriting software for me to be able to give to them. It, it's the thing that enriches my heart. You know, I think like Uh today you think you have problems, be of service and get your mind off of what you think your problems are. And I think it helps us to grow as a person and a human being. So um, I love giving back whenever I can. And it's one of the most important things I do. Thank you so much. You are an incredible woman, and you've had a wonderful transformational journey to become the noted filmmaker that you are today and screenwriter and producer. You're going to be in the future. Like my minister, Bishop Charles Blake, says, I see you in the future, and you look much better than you do right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I received that. Thank you. (laughs) So thank you so much 
for being so transparent today and sharing your wisdom and counsel with my listeners. Camille, I must have to share one last fun fact about you. (laughs) Before we close the show, interesting enough, you used to rap under the moniker DJ Cammy Cam. (laughs) So spit out a few rhymes for my listeners before we close the show. Oh, my goodness. That's been so long. But I used to say, my name is Cammy Cam, and I'm the classy MC. And you know what? <laughs> the last thing I would love to say for anyone, um, I got to work on that, that next rap, but I would love for people to check out the Clark Sisters, the First Ladies of Gospel, that'll be coming on Lifetime in January, the Lifetime Network. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll be rapping somewhere there. (laughs) (laughs) Would love to see you on the Clark Sisters. Again, repeat that again. The Clark Sisters. The Clark Sisters, the First Ladies of Gospel. It's a biopic that will be coming on the Lifetime Network. And I'm one of the writers on that project. I'm very proud of it. It looks at these wonderful Grammy-winning singers and their mother, Dr. Natty Moss Clark, and tells their life story. So I'm very excited about that. You should be. Camille, thank you so much. You know, you've been described as empowering, educating, inspiring, motivating, and a mentor to young at-risk teens to be the best version of themselves. And you have been all of that today. And I can't thank you enough. And I just wish you all the best in the future and much more success. Thank you. And God bless you so much. So listeners, that's it. God bless you too. That's it for today. I want you to be sure to tune in next week where we'll have another powerhouse guest for you. LBG, the Latino who's making a move as the PR marketing expert in L.A. So be sure to tune in. Again, thank you for listening. Be blessed and have a fantastic week. This is Dr. Barbara Young signing off till next week. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an outstanding week.